Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. We're here to talk about the media today, rather its role and its impact on Canadian politics and what many see as the rise of the far right here in Canada. A lot of us have valid critiques of the mainstream media in particular. My guest is no exception. Jeremy Appel joins Blueprints of Disruption to tell us what it's like to try to get published as a critical leftist who pulls no punches. We get some great stories of him trying to navigate conservative leadership events and of finding his way into the precarious world of freelance writing, podcasting, and provoking the right on social media. Through the discussion, we'll see that independent journalism provides a certain freedom of ideas and language, but it's not without its hardships. We also explore how independent journalism can start to compete with its larger, more well-funded, yet watered-down counterparts in what Jeremy insists is still contested territory. On a personal note, I invited Jeremy after he interviewed me for a story on the downfalls of the Ontario NDP, and anyone who's ever tried to get truths out there, particularly those of us on the far left, it is rare to have media contact you. And I don't reach out to them, so independent journalists often help tell the stories that otherwise would not be heard. Before he interviewed me, I of course took a deeper dive into Jeremy's work and found it just so incredibly accessible and fun to read. I wanted to know what his job was really like. And more importantly, like I wonder about almost all of my guests, I wanted to know his role in the larger political movement at hand. Let's listen and find out. Welcome to Blueprints, Jeremy. Can you do me a favor and introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. Great to be here, Jessa. Uh, my name is Jeremy Appel. I am an independent journalist based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I am also a fellow podcaster. Yes, the competition. You've got a few podcasts. We'll talk about those later, but like, let's start at the basics. What do you mean you're an independent journalist? What is that? Well, <laughs> I think it's a fancy way of uh, saying uh, I am a, an occasional freelancer and have uh, my own uh, newsletter uh, called The Orchard on, on Substack. And uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I think it's a nice way of saying uh, blacklisted from uh, the mainstream media. You know, you're kind of one of those like candidates who doesn't take big money, right? You're yeah, not, exactly. You're not in anyone's pocket. Can we? Though, I mean, if anyone has big money and would like to give it to me, um, you know, shoot me an email. DM me. Even if it's big oil. Yeah, I mean, I'll take money from anyone as long as they don't have expectations um, as to what I can or can't say. I'll take big oil money, but I'm going to shit on big oil. <laughs> uh, we operate <laughs> on the same policy here at New Left Media. So, <laughs> But um, OK, so thanks for explaining that. I mean, a lot of people use that title. Uh, we know a lot about the mainstream media, right? Everyone rails against the mainstream media. So are you the antithesis to the mainstream media for us? 
Um, I mean, I don't like the mainstream media. There is a lot of good work that appears in the mainstream media, right? Um, you know, and, and I talk about that in the newsletter. Uh, there's also a lot of shoddy work that uh, appears in the mainstream media, and I think it's important to critique that shoddy work while also uh, being fair and acknowledging when the mainstream media does it right, because they have so much they have so much more resources than you or I, right? So they produce so much content. Some of it's going to be good, right? And it's just, uh, you know, I think uh, it's important not just to critique uh, specific stories, but the underlying structure that 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 leads to the the media landscape we have, where you know we have one like cartoonishly evil uh, corporation that controls the vast majority of newspapers in this country, then but a bunch of uh, you know private telecom companies, and then a completely uh, feckless public broadcaster. Um, and Ouch! That's the CBC. That is the C- well. It's also TVO, uh, for if we're going to be honest. Uh, but um, yeah, again, uh, I, I don't want to discount uh, all the work that's done at these places, even post media papers. Um, you know, there are good reporters there um, whose work is often undermined by the just the dumbest people alive who are paid to write their opinions. I love how, like, as we're talking, you mince no words. And I find that is the same in your writing, on your social media. I think that is part of the appeal, uh, something you probably wouldn't be able to do should you, you know, have expectations placed on you. Do you like being uncensored? I do like that part of being independent. I mean, it's the lack of stability um, that isn't uh, ideal. But, uh, yeah, the the ability to be uh, unfiltered um, is certainly uh, something that appeals to me about being independent. Uh, However, I I mean, you should see the stuff I don't post. In the drafts? Would I be horrified by your drafts? I don't think you'd be horrified, but I think (laughs) other people would be. You're totally right. I think uh, I think my draft section is is pretty much the same. Sometimes I have to go through my drafts and force myself to delete them and just be like, no, not even on a bad day. Don't send that yeah, one out. No. You know, I, actually, so, I never go back to my like, I'm sure if I went through my drafts, I'd be like, oh, my God. But I, uh, um, you know, I never return to them, you know, once something unless it's something that I planned on posting later, um, you know, once it's in the drafts, it's like forgotten. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear that. My, same with my TikTok account there. I mean, it seems seems like a tough slog. You know, I I I understand the need to sustain your work and, and that you, you end up having to do a lot more work than someone perhaps who had a stable position within the mainstream media, if those still exist for for journalists. But, you know, what makes one go it alone like that? You know, was this have you always been independent? Did you have a taste of that paid, that steady paid gig or? Yeah, no, I did. So the, the, the independence was sort of foisted on me against my will. And then I just kind of rolled with it. Like I would never, um, have, uh, even conceived of being able to be a full-time freelancer, um, before I, um, through circumstance, uh, firstly, I, I, I was a reporter at, uh, the Medicine Hat News in the, uh, eponymous city, uh, in Southeastern Alberta of like 65,000 people. 
Um, it's a daily newspaper. Um, you know, I did reporting. I got to write some opinion that started to gain traction because I sort of had because it was a small town newspaper. Not a lot of people pay attention to the stuff you write there. So you can you have more leeway, even though it's also owned by an evil corporation. And then once people started paying attention to what I was saying, I sort of had uh, I had sway. Right. And anyways, I uh, I got laid off uh, due to COVID in, you know, April 2020. Uh, I know some people were speculating that they were, uh, you know, trying to silence me. And if I was someone of uh, less um, integrity, I, you know, I could have run with that and uh, probably made a bit of money. Um, but it, it was just a logis- right. It was just a COVID layoff, um, and obviously there are politics that go into who loses their jobs due to COVID and who doesn't. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was. I, I lacked seniority at the end of the day, right? And so I got cut loose, and then I spent the next half a year freelancing sporadically i mean right these were early days of covid i mean no one knew what was going to happen uh felt like the world was going to end any day and i mean it still feels like the world's going to end any day but um it, it was uh you know exacerbated uh i think in the early days of the pandemic that sense of you know impending doom and then uh, I, so I, I it, one of the outlets I freelance for occasionally was uh, called the Sprawl, which is a local uh, Calgary outfit um, that I quite liked, had a lot of respect for. And uh, they were hiring a city hall reporter. And I, had, I I'm from Toronto originally. Right. So I being in Medicine Hat. Um, while the city has its charms, great place to visit. I still have lots of very close friends there. Um, it, I, I wanted to get out and I got, anyways, I got this say hall reporting job for the sprawl, which lasted a year. And then, uh, the sprawls founder, uh, guy by the name of Jeremy Clausus, um, who I, you know, I quite like had uh, essentially an existential crisis and, uh, you know, he had sort of built this local news network in Calgary, not network publication from scratch, right? It started as his own like blog on medium and then it grew and grew and he started hiring more reporters. And then he decided to, he wanted to like expand to Edmonton and cover more provincial stuff and local Edmonton stuff. But then he kind of just gave up on it and had this existential crisis um, and uh, laid us all off at the end of our contracts. Yeah, no, it it, it sucked. Um, But um, and so then I was sort of just foisted into being a full time freelancer and having to deal with the uh, vicissitudes of that um, role right sometimes sometimes i'm doing great and i'm really busy and i you know am up to my ass in stories and i'm making decent money and then other times it's very slow um but i also started my own newsletter on substack that i mentioned before and that's been a good way to sort of uh in between freelance gigs when things are slow, like now it's the last two weeks of summer, been able to just sort of go it alone and write whatever I want. I, 
usually uh, have someone look it over um, because I do. That's one thing that gives me uh, gave me unease about going the Substack route is uh, not having that editorial oversight, which you know I I like someone sometimes. to rein you in. Or are we talking about grammar? Yeah. I mean, both, yeah. both. mainly, uh, you know, spelling and syntax and grammar, but also, um, you know, more substantive stuff as well. Um, but, you know, I and I don't have money to pay editors, but, uh, you know, I have some good friends, including uh, my friend Jimena Gonzalez, who was one of my editors at The Sprawl, who uh, is also a full-time freelancer now and sort of graciously um, does free labor for me. Uh, so thank you, Jimena, if you're listening. And other Scott Schmidt, who uh, was my copy editor at the Medicine Hat News, and uh, we co-host a podcast that's currently on hiatus called The Forgotten Corner. Um, he also edits my stuff. And then my uh, co-hosts on Big Shiny Takes, my podcast that isn't on hiatus, that sort of takes a look at the um, horrible uh, punditry in this country. Uh, they help out and edit sometimes. You know, I, I have sort of a stable. Of, but also sometimes if I'm just like responding to like breaking news and critiquing like media reporting, it's quite straightforward. I just I go through it a couple of times myself and then hit publish. Right. And so um, it's uh, yeah, it's a mixed bag. I was going to ask you how you, you know, compete with the mainstream media in that. Like, how do you get your voice heard um so one we know you rely on good friends you know because a lot of this is unpaid work unless folks take out subscriptions and whatnot um patron which accounts. they should yeah we'll make sure to share all your links jeremy alongside the episode and, and whatnot because that is important but otherwise how do you you know rise above and make sure people notice you do you have any any tips for folks that are trying trying to be heard without very many resources well, that's the question. You know, I've uh, sort of amassed a decent sized Twitter following over my years um, as a journalist. Um, so, I mean, that helps having a decent sized social media. But even then, it, it, it's hard to take, you know, 10,000 Twitter followers and translate that into, uh, you know, even like a few hundred paid subscribers, right? Because people will follow you on Twitter. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to give you money or even want your newsletter in their inbox, uh, you know, once or twice a week. Um, and I mean, it's a major challenge for sure. Because um, again, the mainstream media has so many resources, right? They And they get stories pitched to them all the time. Uh, where, I mean, sometimes people will suggest a story to me and I'll, you know, pursue it, but it's, it, you know, it, it's not like, um, I'm getting people suggesting things to me all the time. Right. And I think that my advice for people, uh, taking this route is to not try and compete with the mainstream media. Like we're playing a different game. Um, and so I don't, I don't really chase breaking news. Like, I'll do analysis of the news and I'll take what other people have reported and sort of critique it or, or um, you know, praise it if it's praiseworthy. And um, I think that's one way. Uh, writing, you know, analysis and opinion that isn't going to get published in the mainstream press is another um, route. And 
just um yeah in reporting on stories that the mainstream media would like scoff at i mean my most successful piece yet has uh been about the implosion of the communist party of canada which you know mainstream news outlets would be like well who cares they got like you know uh, a few thousand votes in the last election like what, what does it matter but you know to a lot of people who were invested in that party uh it did matter um and yeah i would also you know people say you know this sort of corporate speak about networking right the importance of that but but it's true i i, I mean you do want to go out and meet people even people in mainstream news uh, you know, talk with them, make friends with them and uh, see what sort of, you know, bounce ideas off them and see what sort of things they're not looking at that you could be. You're a, you're a progressive journalist in Alberta. <laughs> so other than resources, obviously, sometimes being a barrier to, you know, doing more work or more in-depth work or whatnot, what other barriers you face? Um, maybe not because of where you are, but, you know, what makes your job hard? Well, you know, it, um, I would say the fact that, you know, mainstream media won't publish me. You know, I was I was hanging out in the backyard of CBC News in, in Alberta's opinion editor and, uh, you know, I, I, I pitched a piece to him and, uh, you know, just yesterday he got back to me and said, um, oh, you know, I, I, I dis after discussing it with my higher ups, uh, we decided we're going to pass. But, you know, maybe I'll publish you in the future. I can't make any promises, but also great to see you on the weekend. And it's just like, you know, they're they're sort of. Like, you know, I, I, you may get along with individual journalists and even people in somewhat high up positions, but their bosses hate you and they don't want anything to do with you. Your name is radioactive to them, but they'll publish every fucking garden variety right winger. I mean, especially CBC and um, right. I mean, that's why CBC Pitchfall is such a great account, because it's 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 pretty fucking on the mark. And um it, you know, it can be frustrating um, not having access to mainstream news outlets. I mean, the CBC is one in particular because I have written for them in the past, um, like two years ago, and now they want nothing to do with me. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, the star may be more open to more critical perspectives and even the Globe and Mail sometimes. Why do you think that is, Jeremy? Like, I some people would look up to the CBC as one of our more progressive. Obviously, there's lots of issues there. We can we could go on for a long time. The platform they've given the right in particular lately. But I mean, why do you think they want nothing to do with you, the CBC? You know, um, I would have thought the Globe and Mail would have frowned more upon your, you know, your obvious bias. Well, they they very well could. I haven't I haven't pitched anything to them, so I I, I don't. But I you know uh, I think the CBC. No, and I know what it is. It's that they feel that by pandering to the defund the CBC crowd, so shutting out any uh, left wing opinion or the vast majority of uh, left wing opinion, uh, they'll get the people who uh, hate them and want to get rid of them to like them, and that's just not going to happen. 
it's not like you're just playing their game and sounds like the NDP. <laughs> no, exactly. It is. It, 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 and, um, it, you know, I, I think they're going to learn it's it, it's for naught. You can publish as many right wing every fucking garden variety right winger who the CBC publishes. It's not going to mean shit at the end of the day because the the defund the CBC crowd don't actually care what the CBC produces, right? It's the idea of a public broadcaster that, at least in theory, um, gives uh, voice to all the different uh, segments of Canadian society. Um, that is what uh, repulses them. And so... Um, again, you can publish as many right wingers as you want, shut as many left wingers out, but it's not gonna it's not gonna help you. You can police your reporters' social media feeds to make sure they don't, ex- God forbid, uh, express an opinion on anything. But at the end of the day, that your opponents aren't operating in good faith, and uh, you shouldn't give them an inch. But obviously, uh, they've taken the opposite route, and uh, that's uh, their loss. Now, like some people would argue that there shouldn't be any bias in journalism. You know, I'm not of that school, but it's definitely uh, an argument to be made. You know, I don't think anybody can be truly objective. It's, you know, that is a position I take. As a journalist, you know, I'm going through your feed. I just signed up for your newsletter. And, you know, I was laughing. I love the humor that you put in there. I love just that language. Um, It's really accessible, you know, I'll be honest, I like curse words when we're talking about things that are that make us angry. It just feels better to read something like that, far more relatable. But, you know, do you enjoy um, what's your favorite medium there? You know, I see you on the podcast. You've got two podcasts, The Forgotten Corner and Big Shiny Takes. You write a ton. Um, I know that. And then you're all over social media. Do you enjoy uh, that kind of grouping? Um, do you find balance or, you know, is there one that you lean towards the most? Well, I think I am a writer uh, first and foremost. I mean, I made the uh, mistake of studying print journalism in uh, journalism school. Why uh, is that a mistake? Uh, well, it's a mistake because print media is uh, is dying, Right. Uh, more than, you know, other forms of mainstream media. I mean, if you just look at the size of newspapers, I mean, they're constantly shrinking and shrinking, right? Laying people off. Um, But, you know, at at the end of the day, I'm a natural born writer. And I think that's why Twitter is my social media platform of choice, um, because that's what it is, right? It's uh, writing um, in in a way that TikTok, I, I don't have like the visual... Um, I don't think creativity to like excel at TikTok like some, though I'm sure if I spent enough time on the app, I would get the feel of it just like Twitter, right? Like you sort of get a sense of what type of posts people like, but yeah, for me, it's writing first and foremost. I mean, I like podcasting too, cause just having conversations, right? You know, it's something that, uh, you know, you're just talking with your buddies and, and people uh, like to listen to that. Um, Don't make it sound so easy, Jeremy. <laughs> we work yeah, very, sorry. very hard. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't want to give up any more secrets of the trade, but 
Before my ADHD got us completely off track there, I started to ask you about bias, right? Yes. You have, and then I started talking about your humor because that really, you know, is great. But like there is a clear bias in your writing, right? You're taking digs at Danielle Smith, rightfully so, rightfully so, you know. Um, and then I'm just going through uh, Big Shiny Takes social media feed and, you know, LOL eat shit, you know, as a response to a tweet. And um, you do you get slack for that, you know, Um have you always been able to write with this bias? Like when we were going back talking about your times in Medicine Hat, could you swear words aside? But, you know, did you have that slant? Have I, I certainly uh, couldn't curse uh, in the Medicine Hat news, but that was really where I came into my own and found my voice. And, you know, Scott Schmidt, uh, who writes a column for the Medicine Hat news as well, you know, was, you know, had a great influence on me as a writer to just not hold back and, you know, say what you really think. And, uh, you know, and, and that really resonated with people. But um, I think sort of after I got laid off, I was sort of, uh, I was, you know, I was on a pretty loose leash at, at the news. Um, but, you know, I was sort of off my leash after. And, you know, that's for, for better or for worse. I mean, it, you know, it would be good uh, promotion for my newsletter to uh, be able to write in mainstream news, um, you know, and link back to it. Um, but, you know, it, it's not necessary. You know, I think in one thing that happened sort of concurrent uh, to my uh getting laid off from uh, you know mainstream newspaper job was this sort of explosion in independent media not just podcasts like yours and mine but um you know, um news outlets that you know my style suits them like passage the maple um you know uh, uh press progress the breach um, you know, all these sort of uh, new uh, up and coming news outlets that um, have, have risen as a result of the failures of the mainstream press and sort of the decline of it. Um, so, 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 so that's been quite heartening because at the end of the day, like I'm, I, I'm of the view, and I think you probably agree with me that there's no such thing as unbiased journalism, right? And, and, and those who claim to be unbiased ought to be regarded with the utmost suspicion. Even you read straight ahead reporting in, in, in the newspaper in, or, you know, on, uh, from our broadcasters or whatever. And everyone's always making decisions about which sources to go to, who to prioritize. And often these decisions are coming down from the top. And that's not to say that, that the, you know, the, the CEO of Global is like whispering in the ear of journalists, right? Telling them what to, but you know the types of things that are going to get you into trouble. And you know the types of things that aren't going to get you in trouble. And so you learn over time to do more of the things that won't get you into trouble and less of the ones that will get you into trouble. Because when you do the things that will get you into trouble, there will be backlash. What gets you into trouble? What gets me into trouble? I think cursing uh, online is a big... Uh, a lot of mainstream outlets uh, frown on that. Um, 
you know, I think uh, going after mediocre pundits who are elevated by the, the these mainstream news outlets and, and, and treated as these like thought leaders um, that I think repels um, a lot of people uh, in the mainstream, um, at least their bosses. Not, you know, I know a lot of people in the mainstream news who like what I do and uh, encourage me to keep doing it. But um, their bosses sure as, don't, sure as hell don't. We know um, all about the private support, right? The we yeah, need, yeah, we need yeah. more it's public like, support. Yeah, but it's like how nice. How you're nice. totally right. I mean, the, the the bias is, you know, you talk about things that might be less obvious to folks. You know, um, removing voices and amplifying others, but one sometimes can just read the headline coming from uh, mainstream media, and the bias is so obvious. And if you do anything from a class perspective, again, you know, they're clearly writing from capital's perspective most of the time. Like, you, you definitely hit it on the head there where we do have to give kudos where it's due because there is sometimes really good work, a lot of folks working to decolonize within those spaces and the stories and and whatnot but generally yeah so you know i'm with you but i i just imagine that you know and when you're being taught to write generally um that is one of the rules is to try to report objectively and and you're right folks do claim to do that and it's absolutely untrue so I think it's refreshing to see the rise of independent journalism and the publications that you talked about. It, it provides us with those voices because we sure aren't hearing them, you know, when we read, if we can read behind the paywalls. Now, I know you have, uh, you know, you encourage subscription. There has to be a, a way to sustain your work. But how do you balance, you know, remaining completely accessible to the audience that you needs to hear what you have to say and making sure that you can eat, you know, um, everyone's cursing those paywalls. Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge. And so uh, when I started, well, when I started, I was clear, I was like, I'm going to do two newsletters a week and then for all of it will be free. And then I, I starting in the new year, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and, put half of them behind the paywall. Um, but I always feel bad about that. Like, again, if, <laughs> it, it depends if I'm yeah. just, if I'm just like sort of doing a survey of sort of what's being reported in the news, then fine, I'll put some of it behind, or my thought was I would put some of it behind a paywall and then my original reporting and stuff would be accessible to all. But eventually I just dropped the, the, the paywall because it wasn't, it wasn't, I feel like it was repelling more people than it was encouraging to pay. And so I, I, I think the best model, and I know the sprawl where I used to work had a lot of success with that, was to um, have everything free and just remind people that it costs money to um, produce this content and uh, to, you know, sort of guilt people into uh, giving you some money. And I've had more, I've grown a lot more that way than putting things behind a paywall. And I think that's the experience of most, uh, uh, independent media. Um, you know, if you want to grow, you can't, you can't grow from behind a paywall. Right. I know. Um, like I, I struggled with the same thing, setting up, you know, your Patreon account. It's, you have these tiers that felt uncomfortable. Um, and then, 
you know, what are you going to provide these different tiers? And I'm going, I'm a socialist. What do you mean? Like, um, no. Okay. So extra content. And I was like, well, what, what could I create for just these, this small group of people who could afford it? And I was like, this just, yeah, it felt so wrong. I mean, I don't have enough content to really even hold anything back, but it did, it felt really wrong. So like, I kind of wanted to ask you that also from, for, you know, completely selfish reasons, (laughs) because, uh, sustaining the work is, is half the battle, but I think what drives folks who do this work ultimately is not dollars and cents is getting that word out there, right? That desperate need, like you folks need to hear this. And, um, yeah. So, you know, finding different ways to amplify, uh, I think you've been really creative with that because I, you know, in your newsletter, you cycle back to your Twitter feed, right? Um, which obviously is on tune with what you're talking about in your newsletter. And then I imagine, you know, your podcast uh, does the same thing. So, you know, how else do you get your work amplified? Um, we, we touched on it a little bit before, but, you know, do you have any tricks for folks um, to grow that social media? How did you get where you are with that following? Well, I also think a lot of things like I'll cover event. You know, I was going to uh, events of like the top conservative leadership candidates when they stopped through Calgary. Cause I it loved turns when out, you were at the barbecue or some. You know, yeah. you left your laptop out with all those stickers, those progressive stickers. I hope this doesn't get stolen. I was like tuned in. I'm like, I'm sure it got stolen or hacked or no. no it didn't. What did happen it didn't. to that I, laptop? I, I, <laughs> it, it 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 just sat there. Um, you know, I I, I mean, uh, all these conservatives think the media is out to get them anyway. So they're if they saw it, they were probably just like figures. But it was on the floor, and I had my <laughs> cell phone charging like it. on top of it, so that. Uh, um, covered uh, some of uh, perhaps the more inflammatory stickers. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I find going to these events and just covering them, live tweeting from them, uh, you know, get people paying attention and then being like, oh, I'm going to have something more on this in my newsletter and then posting that in the thread and then elsewhere. Um, I find that's been helpful um, in getting voice in fundraising, I, I think, has been huge for the financial side of thing. And it's really something I'm not comfortable with. And I think most socialists aren't comfortable with is asking people for money. But you, you do have to put yourself out there and have a fundraising drive, you know, when I, to to go to the conservative, you know, just have a goal like, OK, if I get I think I was like 30 new subscribers in the next two weeks, I'm going to go to this conservative uh, barbecue. It's paid subscribers. <laughs> I wish I'd known that. Like, yeah, that's a that's intriguing, too. Right. You're like, I need to see that, you know, because I envision you there. And and so you just keep people up to date. Right. When you get new subscribers, say, all right, I'm I'm at this in the goal. I need this amount more. Come on. Who's it going to be? And, uh, you know, people will uh, shell out money if you, like, offer them something specific and um, tell them you need money to do this. Um, It's so similar to um, political fundraising, right? We need to put up signs. Uh, It costs X amount of dollars if you want this town peppered with signs. Who can help us meet that goal? So I get it. I get it. It It's starting to sound a little familiar. Let's go back to that barbecue, though. We're going to jump all over the place, but that's 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 what happens. 
because I love those tweets. You know, I didn't I didn't read the newsletter thing, but, you know, I really did chuckle. Uh, I imagined you in those spaces, though. And what's it like? So, you know, are you asking angled questions? Do they know who you are? Do they treat you hostile? Like, especially like you already said, like the media's out to get them. But, you know, they're still media hounds. No, they still want press. How are, how are you treated in those spaces? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I'll let you in on a little secret. Oh, good. I, uh, I took a hit of acid before I went to the conservative <laughs> barbecue. Does that help you loosen up? No, no. It was actually quite frightening <laughs> at certain times, but it did help me Jeremy. find like creative approaches to it. Um, but I, uh. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, the people there who know I am uh, absolutely despise me. And uh, I think that's a badge of honor. I mean, I went up to Brian Jean, who's uh, running for the UCP leadership. Not, I mean, essentially as crazy as Danielle Smith, but doesn't quite have her charisma and hasn't gone like fully um, off the, though. I don't know. I mean, he's pretty much as bad as Danielle Smith. And by the way, in my experiences with Danielle Smith, she's been she's very like pleasant. Right. That's, I think, part of her appeal and her danger. But um, yeah, I went up to shake Gene's hand. I kind of maybe wanted to talk to him about which uh, federal candidate he supports, which is obviously Polyev. But um, I was just like, hi, I'm Jer-. And he's like, I know who you are. And then just like walks away after shaking my hand. Um, How's that like, feel? In- like, is that a badge of honor? Or are you just kind of like, damn. Yeah, you. I mean, I don't I don't want Brian Jean to be my friend. <laughs> no, but you might need to talk to him. Yeah, but also, I mean, these people won't talk to you. That's their problem, right? You can find things they've said publicly and talk about those things, right? Like a lot of, uh, you know, I.F. Stone, if you go back to him in the 60s, I mean, no one would talk to him. So he'd just go through what they were saying in, uh, you know, the house um, and uh, use that, or within with social media, that's easy because these people don't try and hide who they are, really, right? They'll they'll tweet out, uh, you know, how they think vaccines are bad, or that the World Economic Forum is like this plot by George Soros to uh, um, build socialism, uh, you know, internationally. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean. And there are other people in these circles who will talk to you, though, who, um, you know, usually on background, they don't want to be publicly associated with you, but they'll they'll talk to you because they know um, that there's corruption that goes on in these circles. And while they're conservative and they agree with the ideology and stuff, they don't like corruption or what they perceive to be corruption. So they'll talk to you about that stuff. Right. So it's not um, monolithic. Right. Um, a guy by the name of W. Brett Wilson was there. He's like a local Calgary celebrity. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He he used to be a judge on Dragon's Den. But anyways, he 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 uh, basically ran an oil company into the ground and left a lot of uh, orphan oil and gas wells just sitting on people's rural property and like leaking. A real um, charmer. Yeah, to be cleaned up by the uh, government ultimately. Um, and uh, I want to like I've written about this and I saw him there and I really wanted to ask him what, what you know, and film it. Be like, <laughs> why won't you clean up your orphan wells? 
But I also didn't want to get kicked out. Is this while you're on acid, though? Yes. So you have no trepidation. Sorry, like the, you know, former acid user in me wants to know, like, did you not have any trepid? Didn't that add to your trepidation in, in approaching some of these kind of these are villains, Jeremy? Right? Yeah, like, are. Well, these are I the also, world's I, villains. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do a lot, right? I I, I did like a, you know a hit, all right, all right. Um, just to you know, it, it wasn't like I, I I was fucking like tripping balls there. Like if I did more, I would have been like curled up in the fetal position, you know. But <laughs> those uh, tweets might have been good too. I don't know. Oh no, I'm sure, but um, yeah, like you're approaching these villains and. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, I was like, I there. It was sort of a will he or won't he with Jason Kenny showing up, but like, will he show his face? Like, um, and he did, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna get a fucking picture with him. Like, I have to. I'm, uh, I'm actually working on a book about Jason Kenny, which I believe is gonna be the first book, uh, you know, sort of biographical work on him. Um, and I was like, I got to get a photo with him. And so I had to follow him around for a bit. He would turn around, see me. I don't think he knows exactly who I am, but I, I, I think he's smart enough to get the sense that I'm like not his friend. That, um, And so, you know, the politicians do the thing where they shake hands and then they go on to the next person to shake hands and they look right. And, you know, I'd sort of follow Kenny around. You'd shake hands with someone. And then would turn around, see me, and go in the opposite direction. So, I, I anyways, I went. I, I Did went you get the to, feeling he was avoiding you? Yeah. Oh, big time. But I, I, I went up to uh, someone who ended up being his comms guy, and I was like, "Can you take a picture of us?" And I like gave him my phone, and he was like, "Yeah, what's your name?" He's like, "I'm." I was like, "I'm Jeremy Appel." And he's like, "Oh, I think I've read some of your stuff." Anyways, yeah, just follow him around. And, uh, you know, eventually I'll take a picture of you. And, uh, anyways, I got him to like, uh, uh, you know, sort of corral him and, you know, cause a lot of the, the communications people for these politicians, they have a sense of humor. They know that it's in their interest to be like kind to people in the media. Oh yeah. Um, whereas the politicians themselves often, uh, are, can be quite hostile. Um, Though with with Paul Yev, I think you're seeing a convergence of just hostility towards the media. But Kenny, I mean, he's washed up, right? He's he's your your dad's conservative. Um, and anyways, I grabbed a photo of him before. I, he's like, "What's your name?" I was like, "Jeremy." And he did, he was just like, "Yeah, okay." Like you could tell he wanted to get it over with. But <laughs> grabbed a photo. He's gonna um, see it on the on the back sleeve of that that book, isn't he? Well, I don't know if he's going to read. I don't think he'll read the book, but we're oh. sure as hell going to send it to him. A lot to, of these politicians have big egos, too. They, If you're writing about them, they, they'll want to hear it, good or bad, right? It's the spotlight. But So you follow a lot of conservatives around. Is that mostly your focus, or do you also kind of go in-depth on the progressive side? Do you, you know, are you critical of the NDP? I sure am. Well, in fact, I interviewed you for a story for The Breach. Well, this is for the um, audience. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, on uh, sort of the failures of the Ontario NDP to seize the moment and actually offer a coherent alternative to uh, Doug Ford's uh, hellish, uh, um, you know, landscape. 
But and, uh, you know, I, I wrote a piece last week about the Alberta liberals who used to be sort of the main opposition to the PCs. But then 2015, then DP won. And now they're totally relevant. In fact, they couldn't find anyone to uh, run to be their leader. So, I mean, they're they're on death's door. Um, so I sort of looked into why that's the case. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not I'm aggressively nonpartisan. I, I don't I, you know, I, I mean, I usually end up holding my nose and voting NDP, but I don't I don't I have bad things to say about all the parties. I, I, I'm not. Are you a socialist? Um, yeah. Okay. Yes, I am a socialist. But well, that's I the first time I've in- ever asked a guest outright. Like I always kind of dance around it, I guess. But um, yeah, I would say I'm an independent socialist. Yeah, um, it's tough to navigate all these labels, and um, you know, you think there's a safe uh, group to go to, then you see the Communist Party implode. The NDP is a toxic space. Uh, before I forget, you know, I do. I don't know if. There is definitely a story to be told about the Alberta NDP and the goings on there that are, are just so similar to what we've seen federally and in Ontario. So, oh, it's you know, even worse, I would say. <clears throat> oh, yeah. The stories that I have heard, uh, especially in the last few months, are are horrific. And it's just, you know, we talk about the rise of the right and the failures of the NDP. I mean, what do you think their role has been in this kind of shift we're seeing you know a lot of it has happened during covid and you know culminating i think with the convoy and its seemingly popular position but what's your critique on the ndp there you know what what has their role been what what should it have been well i think they've just been mia I mean, and they've essentially adopted this defeatist attitude where they're just going to be, um, you know, the liberals' little brother and that Jagmeet is, you know, campaigning ever so slightly to the left of the liberals, right? Just not moving uh, the discussion in any capacity, just eking out this niche where it's like, we're going to do most of the things the liberals promised to do, but we're actually going to do them. And that's not good enough. That doesn't meet the challenge of the moment. I mean, we've got a climate crisis, we've got a public health crisis, systemic racism, uh, you know, just blatant and open transphobia and homophobia. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we need someone to do a lot better than just, um, you know, Again, running uh, ever so slightly to the left of Trudeau. I mean, you know, in the era of Bernie Sanders, how is the NDP not calling for uh, free post-secondary, right? I'll tell you, that's a mystery to us because it is part of our policy items. It's been something that's been passed uh, at convention. And, yeah, members are just stymied as to why, you know, we haven't tried to capitalize on the same anger and frustration that the right saw within society and you know has used to to build and build but a lot of people blame the media too um you know i want to ask you about this too because you know i often critique the ndp as we know um and their messaging and their effectiveness (laughs) i could go on but a lot of the rebuttals on why we fail are well the media just doesn't give us enough attention 
um, you know, they don't publish what we say. We say great things in the house where you don't see them or, you know, we take on certain issues that aren't sexy. Um, is this true? Because, you know, I read the same no. press releases and yeah, no, I <laughs> go on. Yeah. Um, well, I think the media is always a convenient scapegoat, but which media are we talking about? Right. Like, um, no one ever says it's just the media. Right. And, you know, I, I, I and maybe this is just me, um, my own bias as, you know, a, a media hack. It's, you know, it's always convenient to just be like, oh, it's the media's fault. But it's like the media isn't. Like the media is contested territory. You have to fight to 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 control the narrative. And I don't see any of that from the NDP. Right. And so, I, I mean, again, there there is a lot to be said of, you know, cons- corporate concentration of ownership in the media and how their, um, you know, corporate media isn't inclined to support progressive policies. But. And, and there, you know, I mean, that's true. But you have to make them care. You have to drive the agenda and you have to be bold and ambitious in order to do so. And I don't see any of that from the NDP because, frankly, I, I, I think the NDP just wants to supplant the liberals as, as, as being the center left, center, um, you know, option that is just not the conservatives. Right. It's very negative strategy it's like we're not offering you shit fuck you um if you don't want the conservatives to win you have to vote for us and you've seen this provincially in western canada where the ndp is the progressive option and they're they, they're the liberals functionally right they're not they're not doing anything bolder than any liberal government um would do and so again while i think the media is a convenient scapegoat and there's a lot of Obviously, the media needs to be criticized and systemic biases analyzed. If you're not showing up and offering these ambitious proposals that would make media moguls mad, you have no right to complain that they're not paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Like you make enough noise, you say something bold enough, people will cover it. Even if it's to slam it, it still gets air, you know, even being, you know, the way that you take Danielle Smith and and ridicule her. I mean, it just it also gains traction. But yeah, we've we've all been, I think, sorely disappointed by electoral politics. Right. right. Danielle Smith, who for your listeners, which I'd imagine a lot of them are in Ontario, uh, is the front runner of the UCP leadership race. And um, she's setting the agenda. I mean, sure, she's setting the agenda by saying shit like cancer is a choice that can be, uh, you know, cured through holistic medicine until you get stage four or that we need to uberfy public services. Or uh, she wrote an op-ed in the Calgary Herald last year uh, saying that vaccination is like Nazi experiments on Jews. She said that I, the, that, that public health officials are covering up the effectiveness of ivermectin as a covid treatment i mean all this insane shit but at the end of the day she's driving the agenda 
all the, her fucking opponents are swarming around her to condemn her. And she's the one who's able to position herself as an outsider who is, um, is, um, you know, s- standing up to the, the, uh, the establishment. Right. And, and I'm not saying the left should go around spreading, uh, dis- misinformation, but it needs to find a way to, uh, it needs to not be afraid to make its opponents mad. Right. It needs to embrace that. <laughs> no, that is uh, a lot of the things that you listed. All of any of those kind of statements would immediately dis- discount you as a candidate for the NDP. It's civility. Politics is the most important criteria for picking candidates. And, you know, we've seen the result that those kind of statements, though, that, you know, you're talking about are harmful. Right. The ideas that are coming from the right are harmful to our society, right? That ideology. When going through your Twitter feed there, on especially on Big Shiny Takes, uh, your Twitter feed for the, the podcast. Which thing. isn't only me, by the way. Okay, don't worry. Just, I won't blame you for everything on yeah, there. Yeah. But, there, there there's you know, some plausible deniability. Okay, well, that. the bio, you know, says, uh, and I imagine, well, you explain, anti-free speech podcast. Okay, that was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And, and, and that's that? well, well, I think a lot of the, the pundits that we critique, you know, um, present themselves as these guardians of free thought and, uh, you know, um, challenging ideas and all that. But I mean, if you, you know, I think the K's are the perfect example who, uh, you know, uh, love free speech when it comes to misgendering trans people are saying the most horrible things about Muslims. But then if you criticize Israel, uh, you need to be fucking silenced, um, that you're promoting anti-Semitism. I'm not referring to the, uh, life, um, uh, Maruf stuff. Cause that, that, that's a bit more complicated, but, um, in general, yeah, but but and so we we reject that. We reject this, you know, trademark free speech, right? The Barry Weiss free speech that is really just free speech, meaning ideas you like can't be, um, you can't say shit is stupid if me or my friends say it. But um, if you say stuff I think is stupid, uh, there are consequences for speech. It's funny how quickly on a dime they turn to. Well, I'm, free speech isn't freedom of speech without consequence. It's I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm saying, you dumbass. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we reject that wholesale. We got into it with Barbara Kay and she, she was just like an anti-free speech podcast. What is this? Right. Because she's a dummy <laughs> who doesn't understand irony. No. Um, and uh, she blo- she actually blocked us because she tweeted about and this was me from the, the, the podcast account. But. Um, you know, her usual like transphobic shit about how like trans people are harming children by forcing them to be trans. And I uh, quote tweeted it just being like, if I raised Jonathan K, I would shut the fuck up about uh, harming children. And um, yeah, she that got you really a block, mad. probably insta block. Well, yeah. Well, at first she quote tweeted it like four times talking about how lovely her child is. And then she blocked us and then told her followers that we deleted the tweet because it was so horrible. And it's like and so we were all she going, amplified that tweet just to make a point. You know, like, what are you thinking? Yeah. And uh, um, 
anyways, we were all going at her from our personal accounts being like, what are you talking about? You're a liar. You blocked us. Like, we would never delete that tweet because it fucking rocks. <laughs> I framed that tweet, bitch. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I love that you have fun with the work that you do. And I think, you know, it kind of adds to the enjoyability of your reader as well, your audience. Um, but thanks for clarifying on the your bio there. But I, I wonder, you know, is there, you know, should we be giving these folks a platform? You know, the, we see the CBC interviewing personally, I think, no, you know, there's folks that definitely should not be on our public broadcaster, um, whether they're explaining their point of view or not, you know, it's not, it's not fucking valid. And, you know, to hear that, you know, voices like yours and, and other progressive voices are hard to get through. It makes me wonder, you know, there is a case for limiting speech, I think, a speech that aims to, you know, not just incite violence, because some of that erasure, that is violence, you know, not necessarily a riot or, you know, the kind of physical violence that we would definitely not condone. But, you know, I do I do struggle with that. And I wonder, you know, you do often have to repeat things that, you know, maybe shouldn't have been said in the first place. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, well, what I would say is um, I'd love for none of these people to have a platform, but uh, the fact is they do. And so either you can ignore it or which most, you know, mainstream journalists do because their fucking bosses love this shit and they don't want there to be any trouble for them. Or you can address it head on and, uh, you know, ridicule these people and expose them as the frauds they are. And that's, you know, what we do at the Big Shiny Takes Institute. Um, now it sounds but so formal. In, in terms of, uh, but, you know, I have another, right, The Forgotten Corner is an interview show, right, where we talk to people and, you know, have discussions with them. And I always say for that, I'll interview anyone on that show. Scott, not so much, right? You know, he, he won't stand for... Certain interviews that I do. Scott's more do. like me. I. But, like, I'll talk to anyone, but who they are depends on how I talk to them, right? Like, if, if, if uh, you know, Jonathan Kay agreed to do an interview with me, which he never would, but if he did, I wouldn't have the same type of interview with him as I would with, uh, you know, say Nahed Nenshi, you know, Calgary's former beloved mayor, who I have a lot of critiques of. But I don't he's not like a malicious figure in, in in the public square. Right. He's he's like a neoliberal. So I would have, a, a, you know, I would I would I would challenge I, and I have challenged him, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, d do so in the same way I would for some, you know, far right shithead. When I imagine right. and, they, and, they anticipate that, right? Like, so that would be a scary interview to do for someone. For I think a well, lot of people, just, they, they would just never do it, right? They, because these <laughs> oh, people so cannot be challenged. They they're so used to everyone who surrounds them, all the fucking same like white people, um, telling them how great they are and how brilliant they are, and um, the second someone's like actually. You're not so great. They they just fucking lose their minds because there again, it's just something people don't do because again, uh, most journalists just keep their heads down and just don't say anything and just pretend that these freaks don't exist. Um, and I um, 
am more of the position that more people should bully them and should say the things that everyone knows to be true, but is too afraid to say. Is that your role then? You know, um, you know, if you're a socialist, uh, you, you know, you have a duty to fight this rise of the right, but everyone has a, a different role to play. Everyone brings different skills to the table. Um, what's your role? Is it to ridicule them? Because, you know, I do enjoy reading that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's ridicule, but I'm not, I, you know, I just don't go around ridiculing right wing pundits. I also offer my own, um, you know, analysis solutions and, and, and solu- well yeah i mean i i don't get paid enough money to you're offer not a policy re- guy re- real real solutions but <laughs> you know i i do hint at directions things should go in and you know if people who are actually policy wonks are listening to me you know i leave it to them to uh find a way to make things work and and, and you know i think that would be a valid critique of uh, of my work that perhaps i don't um deal in depth enough with uh solutions but uh i'm very good at identifying problems and i um yeah so i you know i think part of my my project is taking down is iconoclasm is taking these beloved uh, or not not necessarily beloved but these the the these figures who are put on a pedestal and and uh, demonstrating why uh, they shouldn't be uh, respected in any way. Um, but yeah, again, I also have my own offer a countervailing critique of what is exactly wrong with the system and um, how we might be able to do better. Just so you don't beat yourself up too much, you know, solutions are a collective activity a, a process to come to so it's it's really not your job i i don't think as an independent journalist to offer solutions it is your job to expose them so that we know about them so that we can do better and then find you know solutions to the problem so that isn't a valid critique of your work i don't think to say that so um you talk about like people on pedestals and i find on the left we particularly do this um revolve around kind of cult personalities. Uh, I can be, I have been as guilty as it as the next person. You know, I have uh, Che Guevara up there on my wall and whatnot, but um, not to compare anybody that we have around now to that. uh, Dear God, no. But I mean, what kind of response do you get when you go after progressive idols? You know, I find people... (laughs) They don't like it very much, uh, especially when it's done publicly. Well, I've definitely experienced that in Alberta, where people love my work criticizing the conservative government and Kenny and, uh, you know, Danielle Smith. But the second I'm like, oh, yeah, Trudeau's also bad and also Jagmeet is not great. I mean, a lot of them will agree with the Jagmeet is not great part because they're liberals. But the second I criticize the liberals, it's like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. You're you're going too far. Like, like, do you want the conservatives to win is is, is something I've always gotten. And I'm like, I'm a journalist. Like, I'd rather they not. But that's not my goal at the end of the day isn't to get people elected to office. It's to uh, say what's true or what I, 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 I see as being true. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, for sure, uh, the same people who are applauding, who will applaud you for, uh, you know, taking down the conservatives um, when you uh, put the liberal politicians, I mean, small L liberal politicians, so new Democrats as well. <laughs> yeah, that's an all-encompassing small L. Yeah, um, uh, some people uh, get upset, but I think it just shows their tribalism, right? That that they just see things, uh, you know, they'll accuse you of seeing things in black and white, but it's really them who just see um, they're good guys like Trudeau and bad guys like Polyev or Kenny, and uh, you have to side with the good guys. And uh, I think, um, you know, it's, it's like uh, uh, all these liberals, they just see everything through, like, Harry Potter, the Avengers, right? Like, like NDP are the same kind of partisanship. It's it's just toxic mm-hmm. throughout, you know, mm-hmm. I think. Now, and, 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 you know, the, the Alberta NDP, like the provincial NDP, have, you know, a handful of, uh, like, really bright lights who who do do good work and who ought to be applauded uh, though they're less you know public about it than perhaps Matthew Green or or Leah Gazan or um, Nikki Ashton but in any event they're all completely marginalized by the party apparatus right and uh, you know, and a lot of people I see critique you know Matthew Green for for like why are you doing this why are you uh, a member of the NDP. Um, and it's like, well, I mean, look, I, this is why I'd never run for office. I can't do the, the, the partisan stuff. I'm not, I guess I'm not enough of a team player as they would say, but, um, you know, where else is he going to go? There's no alternative. And, 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 and that's the, uh, that's the frustrating part. Surely not the communist party now. <laughs> Sorry. Well, folks. yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think too many people are joining the communist party now. No, I'm. I mean, I get, I get the point on, on where else can they go, but, you know, without giving up electoral politics altogether, there's a lot of places they can do, I think, really good work um, that's not in the House. And they can also do that work while they hold those positions, right? I think the to- toxicity on the left in the partisanship is, like, worrying about that brand always. And so even the shining lights... Um, have such hesitancy to them because there's consequences. Do you find, like, do you hesitate ever, you know, because you face, you know, heat when you critique the liberals or the left? Does that make you ever hesitate to act then? Like, are you just, you know, total freewheeling when it's the conservative? They're open game. But do you pull punches a bit when you're when you're looking to the left? You know, your own form of, of partisanship? Well, 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 certainly not with the capital L liberals. Uh, with the NDP... Do I pull punches a little bit? I would say no. I would say I I I, I am harshly uh, critical of them as well. Though I I am more willing to to point out uh, when they get things right um, than I might be with the liberals. But um, but yeah, no. I mean, I mean, the I'm the party leadership. I I don't pull punches with because they're they're the same swamp creatures the same like professional managerial class right there's a great piece from martin lukash in in the breach about that um how the ndp has just been taken over by a bunch of careerists who just want to make money offering the same uh you know 
you know, uh, technocratic solutions as everybody else. And so I'm unsparing in, in, in my criticism of them. Um, I'm happy but, to hear that, by the way, Jeremy, because that I, that party needs a complete rebuild. <clears throat> I got to the point where, you know, it was, do you fight inside? Do you fight inside? Or do you just burn the fucking thing down so you can rebuild it? Because it is just rotten to the core, like rotten to the core in every province. So are you not a member of the NDP? I'm a member of the NDP. I mean, I still hold my membership, but um, and I'm actually still a riding president here, um, but in a riding that's just been redrawn and whatnot. So, you know, my relationship is, you know, a lot of people have like it's, a, it's an abusive relationship. You're just not sure you can't quite give it all up. But, yeah, there's really no redeeming features to it at the moment. It sucks a lot of really good people's energy you know you mentioned some of those names and I can only imagine what they would be doing if they were free of the confines of the house especially when we compare it to what they've actually accomplished while there you know other than build their own profiles which you know is needed I get it it's not a criticism but that's literally all they've really accomplished there's the Overton window has not it's moved in the wrong direction since they've been there and you know but you know we're definitely on the same page there where like critique just has to be, you know, you are trying to be objective. Like you, you carry a certain bias, obviously, but it's nice to hear that you don't necessarily pull punches. You know, it's, it's, it's a fair approach, but yeah, I, I guess you could say I, I, you know, I'm not a believer in like trademark objective journalism, but I, you know, I guess I am objective in the sense that I'm not partisan and uh, aggressively. So, um, because yeah, I mean, if, I mean, what are you even doing if you're a journalist who's just cheerleading for a political party? I mean, what, what are you even doing? Like, just go campaign for them. Leave, leave, leave commentary to people who actually, uh, think critically. And who like care. There has to be a certain passion behind it. And I'm kind of I've gotten to the opposite where sometimes I'm critiqued for not critiquing the right enough. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of people doing that. But there's so few people on the left with an understanding of what we need that use a critical lens when it comes to partisanship. So, yeah, but it's it's often a very uncomfortable place to be when your comrades are all here on the left with you. Right. So, um yeah, the response is not always great, but, you know, we persevere. <laughs> let's let's be hopeful, though, Jeremy. Um, you mentioned a lot of good publications on the rise, and I'd love to hear that, you know, some of your days are very busy um, because I do enjoy reading your content. What is there to be hopeful about in terms of specifically of independent journalism? Are there, you know, it says technology making it easier. Has COVID made it harder? But no, don't tell me if it made it harder. Let's be hopeful. What is there to look forward to, Jeremy? Yeah, well, I again, I think the proliferation of independent media is a um, definitely one thing um, to be uh, hopeful about. Um you know, a, a lot of different outlets, which is good, having multiple voices, uh, different perspectives that are all progressive in orientation, but have, you know, different sort of, uh, uh, you know, spins on things. I, I, I think that is definitely 
something that gives me optimism um that um and and i would urge people to support uh independent media outlets if they have the means to do so um if you see a fundraising drive happening um you know I, I would encourage you to uh, give your money if you have it. Um, and, of course, uh, support your favorite uh, independent journalists uh, through their newsletters. Do you have any co-workers that you would like to name drop? You know, um, competition maybe, but some other independent journalists that folks maybe have not heard of but have great content. You know, I, I wouldn't say anyone in particular, but just... Um, you know, just just go out there and, you know, and that's one good thing Twitter is for. Just you get to see what people are saying and you get to see what people are saying who you agree with. And sort of you can not just uh, connect like with them um, in their work, but you can connect with them personally. Right. And, you know, I've met so many people. I've made a lot of close uh, friendships on uh, Twitter dot com um and uh yeah i mean i guess i don't know i would i would give shout out to like uh you know Nora loretto obviously and taylor noakes another good uh independent uh freelance journalist um you know uh alex kosh who's the managing editor of the maple which i mean you know he's affiliated with an outlet, so I don't I, I don't know if that counts as independent, but it's an independent outlet. So I would give a shout out to him. Uh, yeah, Davide Mistracci, um, of course at uh, Passage um, does a lot of uh, great work. Um, you know Karen Geyer. You know, and I you know I feel I always feel bad doing this because I know they're people were be, missing. Uh, yeah, people I've left out. I mean, you gave us a decent list. Um, oh, uh, a guy by the name of Christopher Curtis has a very good newsletter called uh, The Rover, which uh, I would recommend. Um, I think he's like a former CBC guy um, who does a lot of uh, really good in-depth stuff. Oh, he's a former post-media guy, actually. Uh, I think maybe Montreal Gazette. Um and, uh, you know, um, the people at Press Progress, um, you know, Stephen Maguziak and Emily Leadham and Mitchell Thompson um, and uh, Ashlyn Chand, uh, among others, um, Luke Lebrun, uh, you know, the team at Ricochet, um yeah, I mean, there's the, the, there's, there's lots there's, out there by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, there's lots out there, but I would encourage people to, uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't uh, encourage people to go on Twitter, but um, you know, there are other ways of finding um, these uh, independent voices. Um, and I would say subscribing to newsletters is a good way too, because they'll link to each other and they're sort of uh, you know shared universe uh, between them. Okay. So with all these different uh, independent journalists, quality, you know, independent journalists, can they collectively help stem this misinformation and, and hyper populism that is contributing 
to the rise of the right? You know, what's the role for you folks there? Oh, I think the jury's still out. But um, I think if there's a chance in hell, it would be uh, through independent media who are able to, you know, shine lights on these perspectives and and, and stories that the corporate media um, is too timid to to look at. Um, And that's just I I mean, I'm sure there are other ways as well. You know, there are like mutual aid organizations and and, uh, you know, activist groups and and whatnot. But I just know um, the you know, I'm just most familiar with the media side of things. Yes, of course. And, and, you know, you can only play your own role, right? Like we've had plenty of guests on here that do mutual aid, direct action, lobbying. You know, there's just so many different um, avenues and points of power that we need to to press at. So, you know, I I appreciate your work. I appreciate you slogging it through being an independent, even if it wasn't initially by choice. But I think you know, that freedom that comes along with that struggle is just so much more valuable to us as a movement on the left. So definitely keep up that work. And I do encourage listeners again to check out all of Jeremy's work. So that's, you know, we'll link it all to the episode as well. But you know, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before, before we check out? Uh, well, just I would say, uh, you know, things are really bleak these days and, um, you know, I really struggle with how to uh, keep up hope and uh, be driven. Um, and uh, I would just uh, say to listeners who are uh, hearing this and nodding their heads along that. Um, you know, there's a whole uh, community out there of people who agree with you and are also scared. And I think it's only through us getting together and supporting each other um, that we may be able to uh, overcome what we're facing. I think that's just an amazing note to end on, Jeremy. So thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, go through the basics of independent journalism, but also for sharing your struggles and, you know, how your mind works. And I think it's all, it was all very beneficial to the audience to hear, to hear that. And especially your final message there to just kind of prop each other up. And I think that was a bit of a theme throughout. So I appreciate your time, Jeremy, and the work that you're doing. Yeah, no, great to be here, Jessa, anytime. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly did. Um, So folks, take time to seek out more independent sources for your news, please. Uh, It takes a lot to go it alone, even when friends do help out. Amplifying and supporting the content not only helps these stories get told, it helps keep the good work going. Thank you again to Jeremy Appel. Um, We'll have links to his work and other great sources included in the show notes that you can access wherever you're listening to this podcast. Just a reminder that we do that for every show to help keep the learning going and to help further support the amazing guests that we've had on and their transformative work. Please be sure to check out our earlier episodes and the show notes included. Like in all things that we do, there's a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, 
Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon.com. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. Blueprints of Disruption is a project of New Left Media, an independent employee-owned company.